inspiration, success stories, expert advice, strategies, new ideas, and amazing conversations. Everything you need to become a great speaker. This is Oscar Santolaya, and welcome to Time to Shine. Hello, and thanks for joining today. Today, we'll talk about the human connection. And for that, I have a really special guest. <laughs> Simone Heng is a professional keynote speaker, sought after international MC, and former broadcaster. Over her one and a half decade long career in the entertainment industry, Simone's job was to build memorable connections with audiences on stage, on air, online, and one to one. Hopping countries from the age of 17, Simone has lived and either worked or studied in Dubai, Australia, Switzerland, and now is back in Singapore, where she was born. It is her cross-continental adventures which have allowed her to become a true student of human connection. In 2019, she was awarded Asia's Top Youth Marketeer 2019 at the Asia Youth Women Netizen Marketing Excellence Awards. Hello, Simone. Hello. <laughs> wow, your um, accent makes my bio sound very sexy, Oscar. <laughs> uh, no, no. <laughs> I've never heard it sound uh, that spicy. Thank you so much. <laughs> oh, glad you like it. Thanks for the compliment as well. <laughs> uh, please, it's, it's great talking with you. Please, uh, let's, let's start hearing your story. So how you became a professional speaker. Oh, okay. So um, obviously I was in broadcasting for a very long time. It's kind of all that I ever wanted to do, first television and then um, later radio. And at the side of that entire career was a lot of onstage work, so, but it wasn't really sharing my own thoughts. It was more emceeing and hosting on behalf of the, ra the radio stations that I worked for or different products or brands. Um, And I actually had done a lot of stage work as a child at school and I did a, a minor in performance studies at university. So I already always liked working live on stage and to public mm -hmm. speak, but I didn't have a message. And it mm -hmm. wasn't until a few um, really sad things in my life happened and I matured and I um, started being more conscious about what's happening in the world. I realized that there was a place for me um, in the world of speaking, in the world of thought leadership that I needed to explore. Um, and it all happened at a perfect time. So in July of this year, I went out on my own to become a professional keynote speaker full-time and incorporated my company. Well, bravo. Congratulations Thank for that. Thank you. <laughs> It's been very so, good. yeah, so you, you were, uh, as you say, already in, in the media and partly you were there yeah, on stage and uh, you, you find your, your niche, your message. Yeah. And you became now a professional speaker. So excellent. As I already start saying during your introduction, you have focused your your work yeah. on human connection. So I would like to know first why you chose that. Uh, what is the problem out there? Sure. So um, a couple of things were happening at the same time. Firstly, I was working at a radio station here. Uh, in Singapore. And obviously, I had already worked in radio in the Dubai market and in the Australian market. But the kind of corporate culture and kind of savage corporate bullying that was happening at this company that I was working at in Singapore made mm -hmm. me so sad and so depressed and so disconnected that I was almost um, 
I've never really been depressed in my life, but I definitely wasn't up. So I, w- I would have mm-hmm. very stressed down days based on the disconnection that was happening in this office. And at the same time, one night I went on air and I talk about this in my keynote speech and I was giving away tickets to a superhero movie. And I asked people to WhatsApp voice note into the radio station if they could have any superhero power in the world. What would it mm-hmm. be and why? And one of the entries that I got um, just made me completely obsessed. And it was a young Singaporean girl called Mei Xuan. I think she must have been in a mid, she sounded like she was in her mid twenties, young voice. And she just sounded so disconnected. And she said the one skill that she would like to have was to be able to connect with people, really authentically connect with people one-on-one. And <coughs> excuse me, I'm a little bit ill. Um, and I couldn't stop thinking about this because it just started me thinking what's happening in the world that this connection, this thing that I've been able to do for all of my life, except for the four mm-hmm. years I was working for this company, what's happening to the world that this thing that I've always been able to do would be considered a superpower. So then I started investigating and studying and interviewing people I believe to be human connection paradigms, people who were doing connection really well in really difficult situations like teachers at schools with uh, autistic children or the carers at my mum's nursing home who deal with older people with dementia. These people are really having to connect to super superpowers because they're having to connect with people operating in a different reality. What I was doing in my day-to-day job as a DJ when I would be given celebrity interviews or even when I would be put into TV show situations, everyone there is primed for connection. Everyone there understands that we are in set-up position where we're supposed to connect. So even though I was connecting with very famous people or I had a very connective uh, job, I wouldn't say the w- that I was having to work as hard as what these people um, like a taxi driver in Singapore who doesn't know what mood he'll get from his every single customer is different. Mm-hmm. These are the people I considered to be human connection superheroes. So the more and more I started to interview these people uh, and then studying um, the increasing trends of disconnection, social anxiety, depression, I realized that this was a topic that and a message that needed to be spread and practiced. And it's a, it's a topic that it's a subject that I'm so passionate about. It's a subject I think that can change the world. So, you know, if I'm going to do anything for my second career, I want it to change the world. I want it to be something that's going to really affect people's lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's definitely a, a very important message that you are now embracing and, and spreading the word. It's, it's, and it's excellent that you already have, uh, have reached to many, many people, many companies around this uh, yeah what would you say yeah. are the the main if you can well summarize the the, the point about human connection for for us what would as you say in, as in the techniques yes let, let's yes let's say so in the keynote i um i share five pillars um and i'm going to talk to you about a couple that are that are really um special to me the biggest one I think um, that works and actually you and i are not experiencing this right now because we're just in audio but particularly when you're trying to connect with people, if you've been someone like me that's lived all over the world, someone like you, Oscar, who's also um, been living in countries where your mother tongue is not the, the language being spoken, mm-hmm. the best way if you want to connect with people and you don't have language, you need to emote. I say in the speech, emotion gets connection into motion. If you have to mm-hmm. connect quickly, 
with somebody and you don't have language to help you, you have to emote. You have to show emotion on your face. And we don't do that very well in Asia. That might sound really um, strange uh-huh. for me to say to you because you're Peruvian and you're probably extremely expressive mm-hmm. as a culture. But if you imagine that in Asia, we, we do the opposite of that. We, and I am a half Chinese person, so I know this. You know, we put our emotions in de- into delay. We conceal our negative emotions and we show face. We give people a neutral or a, you know, not a, an authentic reaction to what they could be saying to us to give ourselves more time to process. I also think this is what makes a lot of Asian cultures very successful in business because this works really mm. well if you're negotiating a business deal, but it doesn't particularly work very well for connecting and connecting quickly. And so I argue with disconnection increasing due to digital digitization and artificial intelligence um, in Asia here, we have to mobilize. We have to put our desire to show face behind us and we need to start emoting because mobile phones are not going to stop. Digitization is not going to stop. What mm-hmm. has to increase, however, to compete in that environment is our connection skills. So that's one massive pillar. Emotion gets connection into motion. To show the emotion is, is the first thing. Yes. Like you did when you were a child, when you didn't <laughs> hide or conceal your reaction to things. And why that works is it shows an open-heartedness and an open-handedness, which is integral to our nature as human beings. When we emote so purely and so openly, it allows the person we're trying to connect with to perceive us with a lack of suspicion. And when people are not suspicious, they trust more easily. And trust is the cornerstone of connection. You cannot have trust. Um, you cannot have connection without trust. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that was... Uh, one of your pillars, the emotes. Emotion gets connection to motion, yes. Do you want more? <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> okay. So another one is commonality connects, and it's probably a really basic one. I think a lot of the mm. time in Singapore, I don't think it's this way in the rest of the world, but I can say here in Singapore, people like to highlight their differences from other people, whether that be differences in height or race or gender, And I always say commonality connects. So do not point out the distance between yourself and another person. Point out how narrow the distance is. Point out mm-hmm. all the commonalities to draw yourself yes. closer. So, for example, immediately, Oscar, I've asked you about your background before we started this podcast. So I know you and I have a shared common experience of what it is like to study in a foreign country where they don't speak the same language mm-hmm. as you. And to live in that foreign country and to fall in love with it the way I fell in love with Switzerland when I was 17 and I went to study there as an Australian Asian person in the European environment, studying in German. You and I have that commonality. So, Oscar, we could close this podcast down right now and talk amazingly, uh, you know, over the course of an hour about that experience. Mm-hmm, and yeah. these are the kind of things that people need to tap into, not, you know, not pointing out like, You have a lot of the time in Singapore, you know, taxi drivers will love to point out that I'm not Singaporean, even though I was born here and both of my parents are Singaporean. No. They will love to point out like, oh, you're foreigner. Your eyes are so big. Like oh. pointing out somebody else's difference from you repels and breaks the connection. You need to point out what is common <laughs> about you. Commonality mm. connects. So that's what yes. Yeah. Right, commonality. So what, uh, what unites us in, instead of what exactly. divides us. Yes. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, 
Excellent. I also know that you quite recently, I think less than two months ago, I have delivered a really good TEDx talk. Oh, so, so I would like us to, to tell us a bit, uh, that process, uh, how you, how you built it, how you build the, the topic, uh, and then Absolutely. a bit how, how it happened, how it delivered. Um, so yes, I delivered a TEDx in middle of September and it was a long, long time goal. And it's interesting in the professional speaking community, a lot of pros have been speaking professionally as paid speakers for 20 odd years. They're, they're actually kind of quite reticent to do a TEDx because when you've been paid $25,000 to $30,000 to speak for corporates for 20 years, you're kind of geared towards that audience, which means putting yourself out vulnerably on a TEDx stage where you may or may not get views, you may or may not connect because it's a totally mm -hmm. different demographic can be quite scary. But because I was only really starting in July of this year, I thought I've got nothing else to lose. And I also sincerely believe if anyone's listening to this and entering the speaking industry like me now, that a TEDx is like your business card. It legitimizes you on social media platforms. It legitimizes you in the non-speaking world to people who don't understand the speaking world. So beyond the fact that it's the most wonderful experience to give of yourself for free for the global community, to put a little piece of your heart, you know, out on the floor for people to judge. And I describe it that way because you're that vulnerable. You're that vulnerable. The entire internet can agree or disagree with what you're saying. And for that reason, I, I really, really believe that it's a brave, brave thing to put a TEDx, to do a TEDx. Um, but I also think from just looking at the TEDx I was in, I think if you think that you're a good speaker and you're a good speaker within your school or you're a good speaker within your workplace, remember that this is going on the internet forever. So mm -hmm. just because you've been able to swing it in the office or swing it at school, you need to be rehearsing that TEDx I think I rehearsed my TEDx almost 300 times. Wow. So, well done. Thank you. But I mean, also I was lucky that parts of that TEDx have been part of my major keynote for a good year, mm -hmm. right? So we're looking at 200 of those rehearsals being done as parts of another speech, but a, another 100 times in its mm -hmm. like iteration that people have seen online. And the reason I say that is I, you know, I'm someone who was at this time kind of just gone pro at speaking. And I was rehearsing more than people who were not pros who just were thinking that they could get up there and speak. And in the end, there were things like at the venue we had people doing like car drag racing in the back lot behind the TEDx that completely interrupted some people's performances. And because they were nervous and because they hadn't rehearsed enough, they couldn't find their place again. They would forget their lines. So my rule is for rehearsing any speech is number one, you need to know the words like it makes you nauseated to have to repeat them again. You know them that well. And you need to be able to recite the whole TEDx while you're ironing your clothes and washing your dishes and cleaning up the house. That's how well <laughs> you need to know it, that you could be multitasking not because that means if some screw-up happens on stage with a mic or a car race in the parking lot behind, your brain automatically has that information to help you in that kind of fight or flight mode. So remember, when we go into fight or flight mode, which is what is the manifestation of the nerves we get when we go on stage, when we go into fight or flight mode, our body cuts off our short-term memory. 
That is what we used as Neanderthals to run away from saber-toothed tigers. So <laughs> in that situation, biologically, we did not need to have a short-term memory. So our memories get really bad under stress, high stress. And for yes. most people who are non-professional speakers, a TEDx is an extremely stressful. Even for me, who's kind of quite an experienced speaker, it was very scary for me just because I knew it would be going online the first time a full speech of mine would really be online besides the speech that I'd done at Google. So, um, and the speech that I'd done at Google was the story of my life. It wasn't a TEDx should be ideas worth sharing. So it is a part of your little brain, your opinions, your viewpoint that you're putting out there to be criticized. So for me, that's a lot more nerve wracking than my story. I mean, somebody could argue my own personal story with me and I could argue it back front, inside out because it's my life story and I know what I went mm -hmm. through. However, in the case of a TEDx, yes, as a thought leader or someone who's a speaker, you should know what you're studying really, really well. And I can argue it inside out and back and front. However, that does not mean everyone is going to agree with it. It's a viewpoint. So I think yes. that that made me very, very, very nervous. But I'm lucky it went off well. <laughs> yeah, it went well. And I hope you enjoy it. I'm sure you enjoy it. I, it was a life-giving experience. Like The crowd is so supportive and it's so appreciated because I think everyone in that room really knows about the spirit of Ted at this point in the year 2019. Everyone knows the spirit of Ted. They get the spirit of Ted. They understand these are not professional speakers. They're really supportive. Um, and I think that that's such a fantastic place to be brave in. Yes. And I, will, I would like to ask you one more thing about this TEDx talk. Okay. I noticed that you had at least two or maybe more um, some videos that you took with your, yeah. with your own phone. And I remember now also to to quote something you have said a bit earlier. So the taxi drivers in Singapore. So you had one story about that. Tell us a bit of that. The story. So yeah, they bought. Yes, bought the use of videos and, and and that story, if if you wish. Okay. Yeah. Sure. Um. So basically, I was finishing an appointment um in the central business district in Singapore on a Friday night, six p.m. Had to go into my radio show from eight until midnight mm -hmm. afterwards was sick, a little bit like I sound now. I was congested. Mm -hmm. I knew I'd have to speak for four hours on air and I was stressed out. And it's really difficult to get a taxi in the central business district in Singapore when it rains. It's like the second coming of Armageddon. It's really difficult. Uh -huh. And so if you're lucky to get a taxi, you better be you know, waiting for that taxi. And the place that I had to be picked up, if I wasn't waiting right at the spot, there was no space for the taxi driver to stop. So he would have had to loop right around the entire block and come back to get me, or he'd probably just cancel the booking. And I was distracted by my phone, um, as we all often are. And the taxi driver, I missed the pickup. And he had to go all the way around the block. And at this point, my heart is beating so fast. And I'm like, I'm like, he's going to shout at me because Singaporean taxi drivers often shout at passengers. It's very oh. bad service. It's very disconnected. But <laughs> okay. the great thing about that is paper, Businesses like Grab, which is similar to Uber, are improving service standards because passengers are no longer willing to take being shouted and screamed at. But so I was really, really scared because I was already ill and stressed out and I had to work till midnight and I didn't want to be shouted at on a Friday evening. So when the taxi driver pulled around, I thought, you know, just nip this in the butt, just apologize, just apologize. So I got into the car and before the taxi driver could even speak, as if I had committed murder, I was like... <laughs> Uncle, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And then the taxi driver was silent. And then he mm -hmm. said, 
Don't worry, girl. We must be compassionate during peak hour. I mean, it's all online. This is all part of the full speech, so I'm not going to tell the whole story. Mm. My throat is kind of like sandpaper right now, but we end up connecting over the course of the next 20 minutes, and I had just never had an interaction. Well, that's not true. I'd had good interactions with taxi drivers before, but this taxi driver was in tears of joy by the end of this 20 minutes, and I wanted to share this with the world to show other taxi drivers, like, this is how you can connect with people. And at this point, I'm not even... I've only just started studying human connection, maybe four weeks in, right? So at this point, I just think that this is a video for social media. I don't think that this is, I just wanted this to inspire other taxi drivers to not shout at us. So I took this video and then the video went viral on Facebook. Uh And so I knew that it really connected with people. And then I started to dissect, why did this video connect with people? Mm -hmm. And there's some of the insights that I get um, in the speech and people can watch it in the TEDx. But I use a lot of video in my keynotes. Number one, what I did do really well when I started this speaking journey is that I chose not to copy or watch other speakers who spoke on similar things. So I took a complete Mm -hmm. content embargo and I did not read any books on human connection. I did not watch other people's Mm -hmm. speeches who spoke on different similar topics for the first, well, almost two years, I'm only starting to read human connection books now or buy them off Amazon. I haven't even got around to read them. And that's because I wanted to have my own original IP. And what comes with that original IP or that original thought leadership is a different way of seeing and speaking. And the second thing that I had that I was really lucky is an incredible mentor who I'm having dinner with after this podcast, a Swedish global keynote speaker called Frederick Heron. And Frederick has spoken in over 100 countries. He's been doing this for 20 years. And in his major keynote, he speaks on creativity and innovation. He uses video content. And he says, the only time I show video in my speeches are when they're under a minute in length and Mm -hmm. when they are taken physically by me. So these are not Mm. third-party videos. These are first-hand accounts that can be shown during presentations. And what I was really lucky with is that I've been using social media since it started back in 2007, 2008 because of radio. And I have, I'm so, um, my mind is always looking for content. I'm wired that way. So over the course of the two years of study, like if you were to see the full 45 minute keynote, it's full of the most incredible human connection superheroes and case studies that are one-on-one with me, just like the taxi driver. But I, of course, it's a 45 minute speech. I couldn't put all of it in the in the TEDx. But when I do go and write the book, I'm going to have to convey the same information the videos do in words. So that will be interesting. Yeah. I mean, this, uh, this video, this story from the tax driver is first of all, a beautiful story. And it called my attention that you are, you are taking these uh, videos yourself, like this one and, and, and yeah. a few others. And that's for me, at least it's not, it's not common. I haven't seen it too much. So it, well, I, I think it's a- really uncommon. I also think. It's interesting. I think with my particular topic, you cannot talk about human connection without showing connection. So you have, it's Mm -hmm. a tough topic because you have to connect with the audience. You have to connect with them, whether they're in the audience in front of you, they have to be moved. You have to move them when they watch it online. And the best way in person actually to do that is to show what connection looks like. Because here's the thing, human beings, we know what an inauthentic plastic connection looks like. We know Mm. body language is off. We know that the facial expression is off. 
And that's what's so beautiful about those videos that I use. There's no part, there's not one person who's ever seen that taxi driver video or the video with me and my mum and gone, mm-hmm. that's not a real connection. <laughs> one yeah, of course. See that, people can't argue against that. Whether If I was to describe that on stage, especially because of how I physically look and that my voice sounds like a broadcaster's voice because I was a broadcaster, mm-hmm. people are already skeptical. That's already kind of hoop that I have to jump through. And every single speaker, whether you're professional or a novice, has certain perception hoops that they have to jump through that the audience will find as barriers to connecting with them. For me, it's, you know, I'm quite polished in how I dress and that I have quite a polished way of speaking because I was on radio for many years. So that's a bit of a veneer that some people might perceive as, as hard to connect with. And so... I almost have to use the videos a little bit to show that I know what real connection is. And can we all agree that what we're seeing in this video is true connection? I've never had, I've spoken for thousands of people, I've never had anyone argue that that connection with the taxi driver was not real. So I think that that's why the video also helps in my particular case. It's not for everyone and it's not for everyone's topic, but I mm-hmm. think for human connection, it works well. And I also think um, the reason it's uncommon is because I think the speaking world has largely been dominated by white male men of a certain age who see storytelling and who see the world and speech writing in a completely different way than a younger female minority speaker would. And I can only, and I think it's the best advice for anyone listening to this, you can only tell stories and tell your message in the way which is authentic and true to you. When you hear and you see memes on the internet that say, be yourself, that there's a reason that that is a popular thing. What it means is tap into your unique qualities in the way that you organically tell stories, connect with people. Those are your superpowers. Don't try and, I couldn't try to be, a 55-year-old white male if I tried. There is, <laughs> there is nothing about me that is going to convince people that I am going to be punching in that sort of weight class. So why don't I just create my own weight class? And what is so exciting for me is like I'm connecting more and more with different female speakers around the world now who are all creating their own weight class. And I'm so grateful to my mentors who've helped me who are 55-year-old white males. Mm. Hallelujah. Thank goodness for them being advocates that have allowed me to literally, as of Friday, quadruple my speaking fee in a matter of four months. Like It's ridiculous. Without their guidance, that would not have happened, right? Mm. So I'm extremely grateful for them and I'm not at all um, hating. I'm I'm just saying it's very clear that the, the different backgrounds we come from will be different informants of how we present on stage. So that's probably also why you just haven't seen it before because I don't know of any other 35-year-old Asian females from the entertainment industry, from media, who are now professional keynote speakers. I don't. So they're never mm. going to have the same tools to tell the stories as I do. You know, we're all different. Yes, and that uh, I like the last thing you said about being yourself and how you explain it in his, in his true. Uh, some some guys, especially when I starting, struggle trying to trying to somehow emulate some 
some paradigm, some how some people oh. did it, but it doesn't work. <laughs> I, I, you know, one thing that I did was a load of free speeches while I was still at the radio. I did one and a half years of free speeches for universities and institutions outside of my radio work. And one of the biggest feedback when I'd record those speeches to show to my mentor, some of the biggest feedback was always that, you know, you're trying to be taken seriously so badly that you're coming mm-hmm. across as cold and you're talking about human connection. Like be more mm. of Simone from Instagram on stage was what I was told. <laughs> so I started right. wearing colors and I started smiling more and I started connecting and I start, stopped worrying about will people take me seriously and started just saying, you take you seriously. So go out there and engage with people, connect with people and sell your message to the world because it's an important message. And I think that that changed everything. That cha- That increased my connection with the audience by 70%. Mm, yeah, I'm sure it, it did. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for sharing that also about your, your beginnings. Um, and it was very smart of you, uh, uh, the use of videos that were taken by yourself. It's, it's not common, and I think it's, it's make a lot of sense on, with, the, with, the, with the message you're bringing yeah. to the world. I don't think it works if you're talking about Bitcoin, right? But <laughs> for human connection, it works very, very well. Yeah, could angry more. Yeah. Uh, jumping to another topic, uh, I have the impression today that the world is somehow becoming more polarized than ever. No, example is you see in social media and how people talk, and yeah, it's about that. Um, for example, liberals, conservatives, yeah. normally the left arguing, right. arguing, arguing sure, Yes, uh, uh, the same. Some people are very open to multiculturalism, and some are. No. going to the nationalism uh, stronger than ever. So there is this somehow feels like there's a clash that is increasing. Um, do you have the same impression of that? Yes, of course I do. I, I mean, I've, I consider myself a global person. So I, even though I'm based, Singapore is a very global city and I have mm-hmm. my best friends in the whole world spread across the entire world. So I am paying it. So my social media feeds, are not based of people just in Singapore, right? They're based of people from the Middle East. They're based of people in Australia. They're based of people in Switzerland, in Europe, um, and right here in Asia. So I am not at all myopic to what's happening globally. So I do. Would I say that everyone in Singapore would have that to say yes to that question? Probably not. Mm-hmm. But global Asians, yes, or glo- a global person living in Singapore, yes, of course. That's an that's yeah. You can't avoid that. And- yeah. Mm, yes. And how can we unite people? So I think when I talk about commonality, we can think of commonality in a superficial way, like networking experts will say, oh, you know, someone likes tennis, talk to them about tennis. But this whole thing of commonality connects goes much deeper. There's a reason why racism does not last beyond the individual. Because if two individuals were able to sit down of really opposing views and were able to go, okay, you're Asian, I'm white. Let's talk about we both have mothers who are ill. We both have babies that have just been born. Mm-hmm. We, the humanity, those common human experiences are the thread. I know this has been said a million times before and I don't mean to sound cliched, but they are the thread that binds all of humanity. So this idea of our, using our commonalities is an incredible way to disarm someone that you believe may have a completely different viewpoint or come from an almost an aggressive viewpoint than you. 
to humanize each other, to forget about each other's politics, we have to humanize the other person in front of us. We have to remember they are someone's daughter. They are someone's brother. That compassion, that empathy is wired into us as human beings. And I talk about this in the speech too. So if you ever come up against someone that it's a hostile dinner table conversation and it's getting heated and you don't agree with their views on refugees, you don't agree with their views on immigration, remember that person is not their views. We have to remember these people, our fellow humans, our brothers and sisters. We we have to be able to globally start looking at people that way, looking at their humanity instead of their politics, instead of their views. It's the only way. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. You already mentioned a, a bit of your how you were gradually moving from a TV presenter or media person into a professional speaker from that journey. What could you give maybe one piece of advice uh, that speakers can learn from people in the media like TV presenters? Okay, here's the first thing, jumping from any existing vein of work into becoming a full-time speaker. And this is very practical. Do not leave your full-time job. This was advice given to me mm -hmm. and it was the best advice ever. So I'm going to give it to other people. Do not leave your full-time job until your speaking is out earning your full-time job. Your side hustle speaking, don't leave it until it is out earning your full-time job because that's going to give you an idea of market demand for your services. Okay. So that's the first thing. Mm -hmm. Secondly, The marketing that I've learned from radio stations has propelled my, my entire speaking career. What I've learned from what I, what I call what I do, the way that I manage LinkedIn and all of these other things to procure speaking gigs is all what I call from broadcast to boardroom. I've just taken all of the marketing principles I learned from the broadcasting world and flung them into the boardroom world. Like that's all I've done. So. If I was them, I would buy, if you know nothing about marketing, I would buy every book that you can find, every online course, and you got to get hungry and make time to look at what other speaker brands are doing. Peg that time in your diary. I get super busy too, to the point that my nose is running right now, as you can hear. Um, mm -hmm. You have to block off time to go and have a look at how fast the industry is moving and shaping and how you keep up with it because the paradigm is also changed from what maybe even your mentors are teaching you it's different now mm -hmm. yeah excellent excellent piece of advice simon could you now share with us what is your favorite quotation oh my favorite quote of all time yes you, yeah. if you can choose yeah, okay. one i'm trying to remember it um it is marianne williamson what scares us most is not um that we are Is, is that we, it is not that we are inadequate. What scares us most is that we are bright beyond comprehension. It's something like that. It's a very famous quote. Um, and she's now running for the US presidency, which I love. It's from her book, Return to Love. And I just love that. And I think that's so true that sometimes as human beings, we're more fearful of our light. And for many years, I was more fearful of how big I could be in terms of inspiring others, living my authentic self into the world, that I kept myself very small. And I would mm. I would indulge in friendships that kept me small or in thought and mm. thoughts and behaviors um, that kept me small. And I don't do that anymore. And I wish that I I always knew that that quote resonated with me for a reason. And the reason now I can't remember the exact words is once you fulfill whatever that quote is that means something to you, I It, it no longer has that weight 
over you mm-hmm. because I now understand what she she meant. I now live that life. But for years, it would play every time I would see it somewhere or come up on the internet or in a TV show, it would plague me because I was like, wow, something's niggling at me. That quote is an arrow pointing to me to some deeper, mm-hmm. darker truth. And now it's really nice to say that I can't really remember it. The other quote, <laughs> brilliant, that I really want to share, which I say to myself almost weekly, is it's about the journey, not about the destination. So I used to live life like it was a sprint, not a marathon. And now I can strongly say that every single speaking gig, I am there with the client from the start all the way to the finish, to the moment the videographer sends me the edit of the recording of the speech. I soak up every moment of it. I pull the speech apart. I see what I can do better. And I enjoy Mm -hmm. serving the audience. Now, I didn't do that when I was in media. I lived like on a factory assembly line, Mm -hmm. running, trying to keep up with a world that you it's just impossible to keep up with. So I think that that is a big quote as well that I, I think people should really think about too. It's not a race, guys. Enjoy your speaking journey. Enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah, excellent. Could you now um, recommend us one book that has been particularly inspiring or influential for you? Oh, my gosh. There's so many. There's so many. Okay. I, just, <laughs> I absolutely love um, Daring Greatly by Brené Brown which I just uh, finished while I was in Switzerland. And this book was a bestseller quite a while ago, but renewed interest in it because of Brene's Netflix special. This is an incredible, incredible book for anyone who's really struggling to connect uh, with who they are fully. It's just an incredible book from start to finish on how to live life better. And particularly for speakers, the end of the book, she does almost like a mini chapter on her research process. So I, mm-hmm. I really believe that if you're going to be a speaker, your message, you know, you've got to interview a hundred paradigms on whatever message you're sharing. You know, my interviewing will never end of human connection people. It will never end. I will continue mm. yes. 20 years to interview new people because as the world changes, we find new ways to connect, right? So uh, that part at the end of the book is great for speakers because it shows you how that book is written so well because her research was so comprehensive so it was it's a good kick up the butt (laughs) (laughs) finally please share with us an exercise something practical that you would recommend us doing regularly a routine to shine a routine to shine i do amy cuddy's power poses um before every speech but I think you should also do them if you're having a day, if you're going to the office and you're feeling a bit disempowered, you're, you know, getting bullied at work like I was. I, I really think that people should do these power poses because they trick your brain. They really do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's how long it takes to do that? Um, Amy Cuddy's poses, you can just give her a Google, A-M-Y-C-U-D-D-Y. And each of the poses are like 90 seconds and then they release mm-hmm. the performance hormones into your body um, to basically fake it till you make it. <laughs> fake it till you make it, yes. All right, thanks for sharing that and thanks a lot for this interview. It was uh, very enlightening, very entertaining also. It was ne- nice to hear your stories. Finally, please tell us how we can find you on the net. Absolutely. Um, you can find me on Instagram at Simone Heng, on Facebook at Simone Heng Official. I'm all over LinkedIn. Just put my name in and I should pop up in the search. 
And my website is simoneheng.com. I'm completely um, devoted to helping the speaking community. So if you have a couple of questions or you want to know more, please feel free. You can drop me an email um, through my website um, or to hello at simoneheng.com. That's S-I-M-O-N-E-H-E-N-G. And I will reply back in time, trying to help you out wherever I can. Well, excellent. Okay. Did you hear that? So just <laughs> go in, say hello to Simone. <laughs> yes. And if you're a minority female speaker, let me know in the subject title as well. All right. Okay. Awesome. Again, thanks a lot. All the best. <laughs> Thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Did you like it? Please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, Stitcher, or visit us at timetoshinepodcast.com. Until next time, 